Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story. Buenos dias. Ah, hello. <laughs> I just wanted to say that so I can make it clear I just came back from Mexico. Because <laughs> I just want to brag. I'm cultured. I don't know what to tell you. I went to Mexico City. <laughs> I... Uh, I don't know what it is about like when we sit down to do this, like I don't, I don't think that I'm a socially awkward person and I don't get uncomfortable when I'm like greeting people, but there's something about starting this. I think of the weirdest ways to like say hello and it doesn't happen anywhere else. (laughs) I feel like, have you seen I Love You Man with Paul Rudd? Yeah. Where you know how he's like trying to like get Jason Segel's, uh, Segel, whatever his name is, character to like him and like be cool mm-hmm. and he always does things like later on the menzi <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's us but only right here oh, well no I, I would say i'm pretty socially awkward in other scenarios but it, it is full focus spotlight <laughs> in this scenario this is like public domain yeah this is just like maximized but that's okay okay so uh i'm doing a story today on an nba player okay is that because of what just happened you know in the world of basketball of uh the what was it uh, the What's final? it called? The yeah, finals. finals. <laughs> What's oh. it called again? <laughs> no <The> big game. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a coincidence. I was. Uh, I just came across the story randomly. I was just looking, and I don't know how I even found him. But his name is Brian Williams. But he changes his name at some point in his adult life to Bison Daylay. Okay. So after I researched the story, and I'm like, holy shit! This I went to Brett, my husband, the lifelong uh, basketball lover, fan. and I was like, um, excuse me, sir. I have a bone to pick with you. And mm-hmm. he's like, what did I do? I get anxiety every time you say that. That's like a phrase you've got to rethink. Really? <laughs> every time you say it to me, I'm like, oh my God. Wait, really? <laughs> Whenever you're like, I have a bone to pick with you. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, we're about to break up. <laughs> okay, I didn't think it was a big deal because I ov- I always follow it up with something so it's mundane. So it's always mundane and like lighthearted. And I'm always like, <laughs> Because it feels like a chick texting a guy being like, we need to talk when you get home. That's immediately the sensation that floods through my body. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. So Brett probably felt the same way. I'm certain he did. Uh, So I was like, do you know the story of Bison Daylay? And he's like, who? And I was like, okay, wait, this doesn't make any sense. He's in the NBA. His name was like Brian Williams or something. And he was like, oh, I know Brian Williams. I don't know Bison or whatever his name is. Yeah, he's like, I don't know who that is. So I was like, well, hold up because I'm mm-hmm. about to do a story that even Brett doesn't know. So that's yeah. very impressive because he seems to know everything about every basketball, uh, everything. basketball player. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Brian Williams was born in Fresno, California on April 6, 1969. So he's April 6th. Uh-huh. Oh, he's an Aries. Aries. Yeah. He's an Aries. He's an Aries, <laughs> Ashley. You should know this. <laughs> Brian ran track throughout his childhood, but when he had a growth spurt in high school, he started playing basketball. Despite never having played before the 10th grade, he was actually really good. He played forward. He was an incredible outlet passer. He could run the floor like a point guard and make baseline shots look easy. He averaged 18 points and 12 rebounds per game. He was actually so good. He was a McDonald's All-American. That is a big deal. Yeah. Only the best of the best high schoolers throughout the country are invited to play in this game. They get so, sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's impressive, but it's yeah. more impressive that he hadn't played basketball till the 10th grade and yeah. then still got invited to play in this All-American game. Good for Bison. Well, he's Brian right now. Good for Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a full ride and he plays two seasons in college, but then he ends up leaving early. 
1991, at the age of 21, Brian was signed by the Orlando Magic as a first-round pick, 10th overall. He played center and sometimes power forward. He was 6'11 and 270 pounds. But despite his size, Brian was exceptionally fast and graceful on the court. He was also left-handed, which gave him a unique advantage because most players aren't familiar defending shots that come from that angle. So during his time in Orlando, Brian started exhibiting very erratic and concerning behavior, and he's diagnosed with clinical depression. And he was really open about it, making him one of the first professional athletes to publicly acknowledge their mental health struggles. Very cool. But years later, he said in an interview that looking back on that time, he believed his depression stemmed from a few things like hating Orlando and being on the wrong diet. <laughs> okay. He said Orlando, <laughs> he said Orlando was a sterile city built for tourists and that he had naively stuck with his lifelong vegetarian diet after the draft, not realizing that like the lack of iron and protein mixed with the physical demands of for the sure. game. He didn't realize the toll that it was going to take on him. And he was like, and of course I was just not consulting anyone on that. So yeah. he was physically not feeling well. But mostly he said his depression was due to his unhappiness playing basketball. Brian had a lot of natural talent. He was a really hardworking, competitive athlete, but this was never his passion. Instead, he viewed the game as a stepping stone to something else. Like in high school, he used it to get a full ride to the University of Maryland. Then when he was drafted to the NBA, he viewed it as a way to make millions of dollars so that he could just spend the rest of his life traveling. And I don't say that to disregard the immense effort that he had to put in in order to play basketball at the highest of levels. I'm just saying that he took advantage of the hand he was dealt, but it was by no means a career that he had dreamed of. So over the next few years, Brian went from the Orlando Magic to the Denver Nuggets, then the LA Clippers, and finally, in 1997, with nine games left in the regular season, the Chicago Bulls signed him as a free agent. And this was the era of Coach Phil Jackson and Michael wow. Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. And then when he arrived in Chicago, Michael Jordan actually took him under his wing. He saw Brian's talent, but more importantly, his potential. So Michael really encouraged him to get in shape and embrace his natural gifts. And everyone in Brian's life said that this period in Chicago seemed to be the only time in his career that he actually enjoyed the game. However, he knew going into it that the chances of the Bulls re-signing him were like non-existent. They just needed manpower to get to the finals and he wanted out of his contract with the Clippers and joining this team would help improve his stock as a free agent. So it was just like a win-win. And he goes on to help win the championship against the Utah Jazz. So this was like a really monumental era in basketball history with an incredible team consisting of legendary players and Phil Jackson as their head coach. This was the series that Michael Jordan played game six with the flu. That's Do you remember huge, that? Yeah. yeah. And it was just like a season or two after he came back out of retirement. So it was just a really... Big it's like, deal. It's like an epic, epic moment in sports. It's kind of like playing for USC during like the Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart days. Yeah. And then like that night, obviously it was just a huge celebration. And his teammate, Steve Kerr, later said that Brian was, quote, maybe the most physically gifted player I ever saw. Wow. And that he doesn't think that they would have won that series without him. And yet, in almost all of the archive footage from that night, Brian looks bored <laughs> as if he's like standing in line at the dry cleaners. Every teammate that he'd had from high school to college to the NBA, they all agreed on the same thing. Brian had talent, an unusual grace, and endless potential. 
but his heart was never in the game. He very much had like an artist's heart and a philosopher's mind and a very restless soul. He wasn't phased by the celebrity and the money that came with his career. In fact, he actually requested that his playoff share be equally distributed to the ball boys and the janitors and the trainers. Oh, so we love him. Of course. Oh, we like love him, love him. <laughs> yeah. He he wasn't like a, a douchebag who... Athlete. You know, some athletes are just like, no bueno, but... He sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Brian's passions in life were things like music and poetry and art. He was just like a gentle giant who really loved reading books on philosophy and like learning about different cultures on the team's charter jet he would get lost in a book instead of socializing or playing cards like the other guys did one time in the locker room he was completely absorbed in an academic textbook on an old indigenous tribe in north america oh my god (laughs) (laughs) if you brought up wine and cooking he would just talk your ear off once during a losing streak he suggested that the team hold hands and sing kumbaya as a way to get back on track unbelievable One time after a practice in Denver, Ice was immediately laid down for an upcoming hockey game. And after the majority of the team left, he went ice skating by himself. He sounds like the most like special human. I know. And the few teammates who saw him said that he just, he looked like a big happy kid, like just skating around on size 17 skates. (laughs) 6'11". 6'11", baby. Quite the sight. Mm Mm-hmm. One time when he was reading a biography on his favorite musician, Miles Davis, Brian started to cry and told one of his teammates that he wished he had had the passion for basketball that Miles Davis had for music. Behind closed doors, he was very open with those closest to him that he just wanted to stay in the NBA until he had saved enough money to quit and then just go travel the world. He said his worst nightmare was being an old NBA player doing car commercials just to pay the rent. Ouch. (laughs) shots fired at a few (laughs) but he would say that privately yeah yeah yeah. but despite all of that after winning the championship with the bulls brian signs an incredible seven-year 50 million dollar contract with the detroit pistons this was the largest contract in the franchise's history to that point making him the highest paid player on a team that included nba all-star grant hill yeah you're gonna want to say yes to that oh yeah so he said yes you say yes to that (laughs) yeah His first season in Detroit was by far the best of his career, statistically speaking. He averaged 16.2 points and 8.9 rebounds per game, but he was still very unhappy with basketball. One time, his teammate said that he was so down in the dumps, Brian bought an aquarium for his house, and he put on a scuba mask and just plunged his face underwater just so that he could feel like he was somewhere else experiencing something different. When he's with the Pistons, this is when he changes his name to Bison Dele to honor his Cherokee and African heritage. So going forward, I'm going to refer to him as that. After two seasons in Detroit, 30-year-old Bison shocks everyone when he announces that after eight years in, he's going to leave the NBA. He was in the prime of his career with five years and $36 million left on his contract, but he was done. He had saved about $16 million, and he was ready to finally live the life that he had always wanted. So Bison hit the ground running with his bucket list. Over the next two years, he ran with the Bulls in Spain. He lived in Beirut. He DJed at nightclubs in Europe. He went to Indonesia in Istanbul. He went to India, where he met the Dalai Lama. He rode camels in Cairo. 
He visited Havana. He jet skied in the Mediterranean. He wrote poetry. He learned to play the violin, the saxophone, and the trumpet. He got his pilot's license. He spent weeks living out of a truck in the Australian outback. And after learning how to sail, he buys a 55-foot catamaran and names it Hakuna Matata. And he spends the next few months sailing from Australia to every island that he came across in the South Pacific. This was by far the most fulfilled that he had been in his adult life, but he was starting to get lonely. And for the first time, he wanted a partner. Becoming a millionaire at age 21 had set off a never-ending fight with his family over money because everybody wanted handouts. Once early on in his career, this is like, this made me so sad. Bison surprised his dad with a brand new $15,000 Harley Davidson. And Bison's best friend, Patrick Byrne, was there when he gave it to his dad. And he remembered it was like the sweetest moment. Bison's like jumping up and down. He was like, he's just this young kid who just made this money. And he was so excited to give this gift to his dad. And his dad was like just standing there totally stunned. And he had his hand over his mouth and he just like didn't know what to say. Yeah. Finally, his dad goes, son, next time just give me the cash. Some people shouldn't be parents, (laughs) in my opinion. No. So the fear of being used for his money was such a big deterrent when it came to dating. So he just didn't really date. Understandable. But there was one woman, one woman who had stood out from all the rest, someone that he had connected with like no one he ever had before. And ironically, his wealth and NBA career had been her reasons for rejecting him in the past, which only made her more appealing in his eyes. So back in 1995, during his brief time with the L.A. Clippers, Bison met a 25-year-old makeup artist named Serena Carlin. And in his life story, she was considered the one that, like, got away. Oh, the love of his life. Yeah. Serena grew up in Berkeley, California, and was the quintessential flower child. She was very gentle and loving. She was very focused on positivity and good vibes and exploring the world and searching for the meaning of life. And she was like one of those people who strived to make those around her smile and shine because she felt like that's what the world needed, more love and positivity, and you could achieve it by being kind and loving to others. Yeah. And when they met, she and Bison had connected immediately, and they had a brief fling, but Serena was like had zero interest in the lifestyle that came with him. She was totally turned off by wealth and fame and not interested in being with a guy who had to constantly travel for work and... You know, totally I'm, sure, get it. I'm sure all the groupies that hang on also played a part in it. But. Oh, I would literally never date an NBA or any professional athlete of any sort because of those reasons. Yeah. Her, actually, her distaste for that whole scene is the reason that she leaves her career of doing makeup in film and TV. She wow. was just like so over the whole thing. So she moves to Manhattan for a fresh start in early 2001. But then after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, she wanted to leave and she didn't know where she was going to go or what she was going to do, but she just had no intention of staying in New York after that. And then Bison called her. They had kept in touch over the years, and he wanted to make sure that she was okay. And then after mentioning her plan to leave New York, he invites her to join him on his boat in the South Pacific. And in the past, when he had hit her up and like invited her to stuff, she always turned him down. But now he's like a couple years out of the NBA. Uh He's living a very different life. And she didn't know where else she was going to go at that point. Why not? So she agrees that she will come visit him for two weeks on the island of Morea in French Polynesia. But then two weeks turned into five weeks and five weeks turns into six months. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So they (laughs) They like they had a good time. (laughs) They had a good time. 
eating in a place like the South Pacific where it was like so peaceful and beautiful and so far removed from the real world and all those things that had kind of like kept them apart in the past, they fall deeply in love. They shared the same passion and hunger for life and they told their loved ones back home that they felt like they'd met their soulmates. Oh my God. They spent their time sailing from island to island throughout the South Pacific, staying here and there for weeks at a time. And locals remembered how friendly and approachable the couple was and how happy they were zipping around the islands on like this little red scooter. Mm-hmm. They'd like share the same scooter. It was very cute. They immersed themselves in the culture. They made a lot of friends and even began shopping for real estate. Bison had told his friends and family back home that he was entertaining the idea of returning to the NBA. The experiences that he had had since leaving and then now being with Serena had changed his perspective. He said he intended to buy property on Morea because if he had had a place like this to escape to in the offseason and then with a person like Serena by his side, he believed he'd have a completely different experience playing basketball. And then Serena seemed to have a completely different perspective on being with an NBA player now that they had like actually committed to each other. So she was totally supportive of his decision. And interestingly, what he didn't know at the time was that the L.A. Lakers head coach, which was Phil Jackson by then, he was beginning to talk behind closed doors about offering Bison a contract to come out of retirement. Wow. Okay. good timing. And then in early May of 2002, as they were about to set sail to another island, Serena and Bison are blindsided when his older brother Miles shows up and essentially bursts their little paradise love bubble. Ugh. The brothers were not close at all. Miles had a big fat chip on his shoulder and he was like, he's like one of those guys that's perpetually down on his luck. He'd show up and ask Bison for money, then disappear for extended amounts of time. Then he'd run out of money and then the cycle repeats. Like before he had showed up on the boat, it had been two years since the brothers last spoke. But this time, instead of asking for money, Miles said that he was in a different place in life and that he wanted to repair his relationship with Bison. So he sort of invites himself on their sailing trip. And over the next month, Serena started doing something that her loved ones had never known her to do. She started venting to them that she didn't like Miles. Her best friend, Stacy Steele, said in an interview that in the 17 years that she had known Serena, she had never heard her say something even remotely negative about another person. So you know it was bad. <laughs> yeah, she said that like her MO was to always accept people for who they were, give them the benefit of the doubt, and worst case scenario, if you just really don't like someone, don't be around them. Remove yourself from the situation. So the fact that she was openly expressing how much she didn't like Miles, it was just a very, very big deal for her. The two brothers bickered constantly, and she knew that this visit was financially motivated, regardless of what Miles was claiming. And then things actually end up getting so tense. Serena gets off the boat during one of their stops and just goes and gets a hotel room. Wow. I'd be pissed if I were her. Yeah. And so then Bison follows her and they decide that they were sailing to Tahiti. And so they stopped at like an island on the way to like fuel up and stuff. And that's when she took off. And so she and Bison decide that they're going to fly ahead to Tahiti and let Miles sail there with the captain and the crew. And then that'll give them like a few weeks by themselves. Yeah. So growing up, Bison and Miles were very similar. They were very intelligent and creative, really interested in art and music and stuff like that. But where Bison was magnetic and outgoing, Miles was more of a shy bookworm. Where Bison was naturally athletic, Miles had asthma that was so severe he couldn't even jog without risking an ER visit. 
But unlike Bison, Miles would have given his left arm to play sports. And their mom, Patricia, said that you could see it from the time they were little, the way Miles would pace around the court or the field, just like watching his brother play a game that he was so great at, yet had no interest in. And in adulthood, Miles struggled with depression and he attempted suicide multiple times. He was on a very intense steroid treatment for his asthma that would significantly alter his behavior to become violent if he wasn't weaned off of it very carefully. And then obviously you can imagine what it was like watching his little brother play in the NBA, living the life that most guys dream of, but then not enjoying a minute of it. It's just like- And being depressed over it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that, that was just um, adding insult to injury for Miles. It would build up resentment so quickly. Oh yeah. So Bison and Serena spend three weeks alone while Miles sailed with the crew and he eventually meets them to return the boat. The couple had planned an eight-week sailing trip from Tahiti to Hawaii because Serena's friends had planned on meeting them in Hawaii so that they could like meet Bison and get to know him because they've just spent the last few months just hearing all these wonderful things. Yeah. But at the last minute, Miles invites himself on the sailing trip. No. I know. And Serena was so upset about this because she was like, I thought his visit was finally over. And she vented to her friend Stacy and was just like, I I just wish he would go away. He won't go away. So on July 6th, Bison, Serena, Miles, and the boat's hired captain, Bertrand Saldo, set sail for Hawaii. By now, Bison has been sailing for almost three years, and Serena has been sailing with him for the last, uh, you know, six months. So they were essentially living off the grid, and their loved ones had gotten used to not hearing from them long stretches of time. And with this being their longest sailing trip so far, it was going to be like eight weeks, Serena had warned everyone not to worry if they didn't hear from the boat for long periods of time and that she promised they would do their best to call or like write an email when they could. On July 7th, so this is 24 hours into the trip, Serena made a satellite call to Bison's business manager and they casually chatted for like three minutes. She was just calling to check in and let him know that they were doing well. And she was just like, you know, the weather's great and we're just hanging out. Like it was just a really casual. He said that she sounded like herself. He could hear casual chatting in the background. And then just before hanging up, she was like, oh, hold on. B wants to talk to you. But before Bison could get on the phone, the call dropped. This was the last contact that anyone had with the boat, but it would be almost 10 weeks before their loved ones realized that. In late August, Bison's financial advisor is alerted that he's currently in Arizona. He had written a personal check to Certified Mint, a gold dealer in Phoenix, and he had just scheduled a time to pick up $152,000 worth of gold coins. And this is (laughs) normally the type of transaction that he would clear with his advisors first, but he hadn't. And he also hadn't written a personal check in over five years. So like that alone was really suspicious. Also the gold coins, like this isn't Pirates of the Caribbean. Like what do you need with that? What? I didn't even know that that was a thing. Is it just for it to fill up with a chest? I have no idea. Okay. I literally, I don't know, like can you use gold at CVS and stuff? Or like, I don't even know. <laughs> I would love to see that. An old man just like opening up a kerchief and having three gold coins. <laughs> like I don't, so it's from the ship. I know, I just don't get it. Like I, I truly don't know what you do with it. I mean, not to say that like if anyone wants to give me a bunch of gold give coins, me a bucket. I'll, I'll figure it out. Give me a bucket full. <laughs> so when the advisor can't reach Bison, they alert certified mint as well as authorities that someone likely stole his identity. So police are ready and waiting to arrest whoever shows up for the gold coins. 
and then in walks Miles. After being arrested for forgery, police discover that he is carrying all of Bison's credit cards as well as his passport. Despite a grueling seven-hour interrogation, Miles wouldn't tell them anything. At first, he kept saying he hadn't seen the couple in maybe four or five months. But police had already been in contact with Serena's family and Bison's business manager, so cops know that he's lying. When they tell him that they know he was with the couple only a few weeks ago, then suddenly he changes his story. Now he insisted that Bison and Serena were in trouble. He alluded to them being in some kind of hostage situation with maybe like pirates or something. (laughs) Hence the coins. (laughs) Yeah, and that Bison sent him there with his identification so that he could get gold coins to pay the ransom. And then in the most ass-backwards move imaginable, the Phoenix DA tells police to let Miles go because they don't have enough to hold him, which is really, really wild because... He was openly impersonating another person. He has that person's passport and credit cards, and he was about to get $152,000 worth of that person's money. And the person in question hasn't been heard from in 10 weeks, and yet they just let him go. So not surprisingly, as soon as he walked out of the police station, he fled to Mexico. And while he was in hiding, he made contact with several family members and his girlfriend, With his family, he was completely tight-lipped about the details. He just told them that he didn't do anything wrong and he didn't know where the couple was. But then with his girlfriend, he told her that something horrible happened on that boat and he needed to go into hiding because he didn't think that anyone would believe that he was innocent and the only one to make it out alive. So what Miles told his girlfriend was this. A day into their trip, Miles and Bison were on the deck looking at the water. Miles made a passive-aggressive comment that triggered an argument between them, and it turned physical. Uh, Bertrand, the captain, tried to intervene, but Bison pushed him off. Serena came running outside and jumped on Bison's back, but thinking that it was the captain who had jumped on him, Bison punched Serena in the face, sending her flying across the deck. She hit her head on a davit and died instantly. Bertrand said that they needed to report this immediately, but Bison didn't want to. So he picked up a wrench and bludgeoned the captain to death. Bison turned to Miles and said that they needed to cover this up together. But Miles claims that he became so frightened that he went inside, got a gun, and shot his own brother to death. Miles then dumped the bodies overboard and sailed to a nearby island where he changed the boat's name, had it repainted, and then abandoned it in a random dock and flew back to California. After hearing all of this, his girlfriend's like, hello, FBI. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And within a couple of days, the FBI is in Tahiti processing the abandoned boat as a crime scene. But they don't find evidence of any crime having taken place on the boat. Apart from putting a new name over the old one and having the exterior painted, the boat was not only in its original condition, but very good condition. And yet they couldn't find forensic evidence to back up the story that Miles had told. Because if what he said was true, then there was at least one gunshot wound and two people dying from head injuries in the middle of the deck. So there would be an enormous amount of blood that would be just impossible to thoroughly clean. But authorities cannot find even a single drop of blood anywhere on the boat at all. They found evidence that Bison, Serena, Miles, and Bertrand having been on the boat, but no one else. So based off the circumstances, Miles being on the run, and the non-existent forensic evidence, 
Authorities believe that sometime after Serena spoke to Bison's business manager on July 7th, Miles likely ordered Bison, Serena, and Bertrand into the water at gunpoint and then sailed away, leaving them in the middle of the ocean to die. A few days after the FBI processed the boat, Miles left a voicemail to his mom. He told her that he was sorry. He swore to God he didn't do what the FBI is claiming he did, and he knows that he could never survive prison. The next day, Miles was found unconscious on a beach in Mexico. He had taken an overdose of insulin and slipped into a coma. After several days of testing, doctors determined his brain had gone at least eight hours without oxygen. Therefore, the damage was so significant he would never wake up. His parents made the difficult decision to take him off life support, and he was pronounced dead on September 27th, two months after his younger brother was presumed dead. When their mom, Patricia, learned a few months earlier that they were in the South Pacific sailing together after so many years of not speaking, she hoped that it meant that they were getting along and repairing their bond. She said that she spent months with, quote, a romantic notion about my boys, just imagining all that they were doing and learning and seeing. And now I don't want to think or feel. My boys are gone and neither of them can ever tell me what happened. And even if someone pieces together the story or tells me what Miles told them, that's just for the law and the press and the public. It still doesn't explain what happened inside of the boys. And that's all I want to know, unquote. Just before leaving the Detroit Pistons, Bison gave an interview in which he said, quote, I always figure there were two ways to go. You can die from living or you can die from just dying. And Serena's loved ones feel like if there's any solace to find in this tragedy, it's that they know that Serena and Bison spent the last six months of their lives joyful and in love, exploring beautiful faraway places, truly living in the moment and experiencing that amazing sensation of meeting your soulmate. And that is the story of Brian Williams, who's later known as Bison Daily. Well, <laughs> I've just been sitting here like, I don't know how to even respond to that. Yeah. I'm just like stuck on the mom losing two of her kids in the matter of, you know, two months. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it, it's like, I hate being the person that's like on the upside. He died doing what he loved versus, you yeah. know, when he wasn't, when he was miserable and that depression. And it's like, but then you just meet the person that you're supposed to, you know, spend the rest of your life with and only getting that six months with them. It's like, that just gave me a lot of the feels. <laughs> I know. It's like a whirlwind of a story yeah. because it's, it's just, it's just tragic. It's tragic when anyone young loses their lives anyways, but then especially in these circumstances and to never be able to know their families will never know what really happened. Well, it's out of, it's, I mean, I'm presuming it's out of greed because if he, if there was actually an incident in which he felt remorse and he wasn't responsible, I don't see you going to a bank and withdrawing all this money. It seems like that was his end goal was to get something from his brother. He Even definitely wasn't remorseful because, you know, the story was so long I couldn't include everything, but there was one specific thing that I guess is so crucial I should have kept it in. Um, they believe that he killed them on July 7th, a day mm -hmm. into their trip, because on July 8th, he was back on the island of Morea with his girlfriend from California and they spent a week there vacationing. And the girlfriend wasn't like, well, this is weird. She didn't know. He's, oh she God. believed that they had gone sailing to wow. Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like he refused to leave because his goal was to kill them. And so he wanted to, you know, be in an isolated, 
situation. And it's just crazy because, you know, all that sailing, like Bison learned how to sail, but he also knew that you had to do it with a captain and a crew. So he never really sailed by himself. He always Mm -hmm. had someone there. But this guy killed the other three people on the boat and then somehow managed to sail a catamaran all the way back. You know, it's just crazy. But it's very sad. It's very sad, but that was very well done. And yeah. I think some of our sports fans will. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we that. have any sports fans, but uh, if we do, then I hope you enjoy that. You did a really good job with the point guard um, shuffle jump stuff, like the, in the beginning. <laughs> the, <laughs> the basketball the, the, the lingo, scale, yeah, the, the the basketball skill lingo it was I really d- good. I did. Uh, I wrote it all based off research, and then I definitely verified. All the basketball. <laughs> I, I verified all the basketball lingo with him just to make sure I didn't sound like an idiot. You're like, babe, will I sound stupid if I say a half court shot? <laughs> Seriously, I was just like, or I would like list some statistics and be like, is that impressive or is it bad? Or I don't even know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I hope- hey, you sound like you knew what you were doing. So congrats. Hopefully. hopefully. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon patreon.com slash shorties podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley Johnson and Anna Katharina.